Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. We have some people in the room here, but I also wanted to say hi to everyone joining us online. Of course, if you're a part of Winnipeg South, Bronx Park North End, and of course, my favorite people in Niverville, let's give them a big cheer. Today's message is called Heidi Ho Neighbor. And so if I say that phrase, you probably think of one of two people. The first one, of course, is Ned Flanders, right, from The Simpsons. The goody two-shoes, church-going neighbor who's always trying to be kind, but he's always being dismissed by Homer. And the other one, I don't know if you remember this or not, but from the show Home Improvement, Tim the Toolman's neighbor, whose most creative name is Wilson Wilson, was his neighbor, and he also always said, Heidi Ho neighbor. And so today, we're going to look at what it means to be a neighbor. And lots of TV shows focus on neighbors. And I was, the importance that neighbors play in our lives. And I was thinking about all the shows that I used to watch growing up, and and I discovered some categories of neighbors. And so I'm going to share with you some of these categories. The first one is the wisdom neighbor. This would be Mr. Wilson from Home Improvement or Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. They're the neighbor that you always go to for advice. And for some reason, they always talk over a fence. I don't know why. I guess because you're talking to your neighbor, but that's where they always shot it. Um, There's the best friend neighbors. That's, of course, is like Fred and Barney from the Flintstones. And then there's what I call the annoying but lovable neighbor who coincidentally always goes by one name. This would be Urkel, Kramer, SpongeBob. The annoying but lovable neighbors. And so neighbors on TV shows, whether they're giving wisdom or being a good friend or just being lovingly annoying, usually play an integral part of the show. And that's what we want to look at today, the importance of neighbors. What does it take to be a good neighbor, to really do life with our neighbors, to to be the one with wisdom, but also to receive wisdom? Because guess what? We can learn things from our neighbors, even if they're not Christian, right? To be good friends as neighbors. Not to see them as a project, but to be a real friend. To be lovable, maybe not annoying, but to be real and authentic and transparent. I think this pandemic has wreaked a little havoc on community. The lack of community is becoming more and more evident. And people don't know who to trust, so much so that when they experience kindness, they feel like it's a means to sell something. So we're going to see how we can change that. There's a book called The Art of Neighboring, and it's written by a pastor from Denver named Dave. And he talks about this time he gathered a group of 20 lead pastors from the area to think and to dream and to pray about how their churches could join forces to reach their neighborhood, to serve their community. So they even invited their local mayor. They invited the mayor to their meeting. They asked them this question, how can we as churches best work to serve our city? They talked about all the issues. They talked about at-risk kids, poor housing conditions, elderly shut-ins, loneliness. The list went on and on. And the mayor said this, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. It wasn't government programs or money or it was about becoming a community of good neighbors. The mayor left the meeting The pastor still stayed behind, and Dave says this to the pastors. Am I the only one here who feels a little bit embarrassed? (laughs) I mean, here we were asking the mayor what we can do to best serve the city, and he basically said that it would be great if we could just get our people to obey the second half of the great commandment. In a word, the mayor invited a room full of pastors 
to hear, to get their people to actually obey Jesus. The mayor had to tell the pastors to get your people to obey Jesus. Matthew 22 says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14, the apostle Paul says it this way, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Dave says he remembers thinking, wow, Jesus is a genius. <laughs> Go figure. He's, he's asked to pick the one greatest commandment that's more important than all the others, and he shares something that could actually change the world. If only every person who believes in Jesus would actually do it. The mayor was right. And more importantly, Jesus was right. Neighboring relationships really do matter. So what if the solution to society's biggest problems has been right under our noses for these 2,000 years? When Jesus is asked to reduce everything in the Bible to one command, he says, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. We're not only supposed to... uh, love only our next door neighbor, but Jesus thought we should at least start with them, right? I bet he knew that if our love isn't going to work for the people that live next door, it's probably not going to work for the rest of the world. Jesus didn't say who our neighbors are either, probably so we wouldn't start making lists of who we had to love and who it was okay not to love. But what if he meant that we should love our actual neighbors? You know, the people that live right next door. Bob Goff says, it's one thing we all have in common. We are all somebody's neighbor, and they're ours. God made a whole world full of neighbors. We call it earth, but God just calls it a really big neighborhood. When people look for a new home, almost everyone focuses on what's, the, what's on the inside or on the outside of the house. You know, does the kitchen have granite countertops? Is the basement finished? What is the yard like? But you rarely hear this question asked in real estate, who are the neighbors? Which is surprising because the people that we live next to have a huge impact on the quality of our lives. Relationships are actually much more important than bricks and mortar. And our neighborhoods are much more than just a collection of houses. And it's amazing what happens when we begin to realize that our homes are not supposed to be an escape from the world around us, but actually an outpost for God's kingdom. A paraphrase of Acts 17, 26 says this, He decided exactly when they should live, And he decided exactly where they should live so that people would seek him and perhaps they would reach out for him and find him. Not only is God able to work for his glory and our good, but he manages to do so in a way that benefits those around us so that others may seek God and find him. Becoming good neighbors, we we are stretched and, and we're shaped to become who we're supposed to be. And our communities become a place that people can draw closer to God. I was reading this book called Jesus Next Door, and it had some great questions for us to think about. It said this, if you moved out of your neighborhood tomorrow, would your neighbors miss you? What is your presence in your neighborhood? If you had to rank yourself as a neighbor on a scale from one to 10, what would it be? What would it be like if I moved out, if I moved out of my house and Jesus moved in? How would life get better for my neighbors if Jesus was their neighbor instead of me? What conversations would he have with them as you're checking the mail? What needs would he see that I tend to overlook? How would his presence bring joy and life to the people living on my street or in my building if he were the one living in my house or in my apartment? The Bible says he has. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made made his dwelling among us. This book, Jesus Next Door, paraphrased it this way. The infinite God has moved into the neighborhood. God himself is living on our street, and we have experienced just how good it is to have him as our neighbor. 
So the challenge today is to ask God to help you live as though you were the very hands, the feet, and the voice of Jesus. Doing that to your neighbors and to everyone you encounter on a, on a daily basis. So we're, today we're going to look at three things that we can do to be a better neighbor. And they are to learn, to be, and to do. Pretty simple. The first thing is to learn. We're supposed to love our neighbors. So the big question would be, well, who are our neighbors? And if we say that everyone is my neighbor, then it can actually become an excuse for not actually following the commandment. Because the problem is, if we aim for everything, a lot of times we hit nothing. So when we insist that our neighbors are just everybody out there, we end up saying that our neighbors are actually nobody. If we don't take Jesus' command literally, then we just kind of turn the great commandment into a metaphor. We have metaphoric love for the metaphoric neighbors, and our communities are changed, metaphorically speaking. In other words, nothing changes. So we're going to look at what it means to love our actual neighbors, the people we live close to. Because I think sometimes it's easy to draw conclusions or assumptions based on what we see, right? We look out the window, we see our neighbors. You might even have weird nicknames for your neighbors. Like, if you have a weird nickname for a neighbor, share it in the chat. Um, one of the things when, when one of our previous homes that we lived in, we had someone across the street that we called Pink Housecoat Lady. Because <laughs> that's all we saw was <laughs> Pink Housecoat Lady. It's all she ever wore. But it's these assumptions sometimes that keep us from getting to know people, right? So the first thing we need to do is learn about our neighbors. There's a challenge in that book I mentioned earlier, The Art of Neighboring. And it says, imagine, I'm going to show you a picture here. Imagine your house is the middle box in those squares. And the other boxes are the eight houses that are nearest to you. Now, you might live in a spot where the houses don't look like a tic-tac-toe board like this, and that's okay. Whether you live in a cul-de-sac or an acreage or an apartment, picture the locations of the eight nearest neighbors to you. And now most of you are watching online, so this is good. Grab a piece of paper or type it in your computer or your phone. I want you to write down the names of the people who live in the homes represented in those boxes, the eight closest neighbors to you. Now, I'm not going to give you time to finish all that, so consider it homework. But the book said that only about 10% of the people can list all eight neighbors. And I didn't even tell you the second part of the challenge, which was to actually write some information about the neighbors more than you would know just from seeing out the window, right? Like not just pink house coat or red car, but something about maybe their career or their life plan. And this study said less than 3% could do that for their eight closest neighbors. It can be eye-opening to realize just how much we actually know or don't know about our very own next-door neighbors. We got to do a better job at connecting with our literal next-door neighbors before we even attempt to love everyone else on the planet. So the first step is to learning our neighbors' names. What a crazy concept. To actually love someone, it helps to actually know their name. To be known is one of the deepest longings of the human heart. Imagine what it felt like for Nathaniel the day that he realized that Jesus knew his name. In John 1, when Jesus calls him, Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Or Zacchaeus, when Jesus spotted him in the midst of a huge crowd, he calls him by name. Imagine what that felt like. John 10, 3 says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus is in the business of calling us by name. Imagine that moment where we get to stand in the presence of the Almighty God in the future kingdom of heaven and hear Him call us by name. It feels like a small gesture, 
but taking the time to learn a person's name can leave an eternal impression. Dale Carnegie said this, a person's name is to him or her the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Knowing and using someone's name to them is a powerful thing. And not only that, if you know someone's name, then we can also pray for them by name. How powerful is that? Once we know names, then we can take the next step and asking some questions to learn more. It's important to be curious. I'm not saying be a nosy neighbor just so you can find the latest juicy gossip, but being curious to show that we care, to learn a person's story. The goal is to move from stranger to acquaintance, and then from acquaintance to relationship. It doesn't mean that the goal is best friends with everybody, but a relationship in community. Marcy and I have a note on our phones that, where we write down the names of the people we encounter in our neighborhood so that we don't forget. And sometimes we, you know, it's, you're in that moment of a conversation with someone and all I can do is just try to remember their name so I can get to my phone but not awkwardly do it in front of them. But we try to keep a note with the names in our neighborhood so that the next time we see them, we can call them by name. And they'll be like, oh, you remembered my name. It's a powerful thing. But it can be hard sometimes to get opportunities to have interactions with our neighbors. Because we like to stay in our homes, especially in a pandemic. And when we do leave, we go straight from the house, into the garage, into the car, and drive off with never an interaction. When we actually do enjoy the outdoors, we go to our backyard where it's a six-foot-high fence where we can't see anything around us in our neighborhood, and we just spend some time there. There was one family that noticed that this was preventing them from getting to know their neighbors, so they just switched yards. <laughs> they just moved to the front yard. They got a, a swing for a front yard tree. They got their lawn chairs, and they just set up shop in the front yard and hung out there. Nothing happened for a bit, but over the next few weeks, they started having more interactions than they even could imagine with people in their neighborhood, only because they switched yards. <laughs> they stopped hiding, and they just hung out where people could see. The first house that we owned, we actually had a section of three-foot-high fence in our back. And so we, you could see over it. You could see into the neighbor's yard. And not only that, our, our backyard garages were, were in our backyard facing the back lane, and they were detached. So we were totally exposed to our neighbors. Well, maybe exposed is the wrong word. But <laughs> every time we left, there was interactions if they were outside too. It forced interactions. There were so many times where, you know, I was barbecuing and he was barbecuing and we could see each other because the fence was so low and we just started talking. And guess what? We became friends. Their family would come over for dinner. I'd pop by to borrow sugar. He'd pop by to use my lawnmower. One day, he shows me the front page of the free press where there's this picture of these guys in costume to do an Easter service at a church. And he looks at me and he says... Are you Batman? <laughs> I grabbed him by the collar and said, I am Batman. <laughs> I invited him to the Easter service, but <laughs> they didn't come. I don't know why. <laughs> and they never did, I don't think, ever come to church, but we invited him. But we did have a lot of conversations about God, and it, it was natural. It wasn't forced or awkward because we became friends. The fence started falling down, and we started talking about building a new fence and we both talked about how we didn't want it to build up a high fence like anyone else would, but we wanted to keep it like this. And we never actually got to building that fence because we both ended up moving away over the next year. And we really missed them. We never really had that again. You know, that real neighbor connection. We've gotten to know other neighbors over the years and it's been good, but we never had that again. That is a very cool thing. That is what God designed us for. Community, relationship, serving each other, doing life together. So the first thing we need to know to be a good neighbor is to learn. 
The second thing is to be. What does it mean to be a good neighbor? A different neighbor that I tried getting to know, I could never really catch in a conversation. He was never interested in talking. And the first real conversation I had from him came about in a, in a kind of an interesting way. I was buying something on Kijiji, and you know how people are weirdly vague with their addresses on Kijiji, and you have to like chat for an hour before they actually give you an It's like they can figure out if you're an axe murderer or not the longer they string you along. So I finally, he tells me the area that he lives in. I'm like, oh, same area as me. And he tells me the street. I'm like, oh, same street. And the address. I'm like, wait a second, I live next door. <laughs> so I walk over to his house, knock on his door. And I'm like, hey, I'm buying the thing that you're selling. And, and that was our first real conversation. And I could tell he still wasn't really into conversation. He just kind of wanted to be done with. But he did tell me one thing. He says, you know, you're a good neighbor. And I'm like, it totally caught me off guard because I'm like, how do you know I'm a good neighbor? We've never even talked. How could you possibly know when you've never even given me a chance to be a good neighbor? But he said to me, I like you as a neighbor because you don't complain about the stuff in my yard. And his yard, it was kind of messy and I didn't really care much and didn't say anything. But it sounded like the previous neighbor cared a lot and made a big deal about it. And so the, I'm thinking, the bar for me is pretty low here to be a good neighbor. I just have to not complain about his yard. And he thinks I'm a great neighbor. So there you go. We can't have a message without being a good neighbor, without looking at the classic story that Jesus told when someone asked him, who is my neighbor? So let's look at Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor, scientifically speaking? That's how we talked. I don't know if you knew that. I love that he said he wanted to justify himself. The man wanted to define the word neighbor so he knew who he had to love and who he could cancel, right? Does that sound familiar? We're about cancel culture these days, right? This guy was wondering who he was obligated to show love to and who he was allowed to cancel. Let's continue. Luke 10, 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So you have the priest and the Levite, who are the religious people of the time. These are the people who are supposed to live a life of care and love, but they don't help. And then we have the Samaritan. The Israelites despised the Samaritans for reasons we won't get into, but it's significant that it's a Samaritan who stopped to help. The most unlikely of heroes. Of all the people who pass by, certainly the priest, the pastor, the religious people would stop. But no, it's the person with the most baggage, the most trouble, the most reasons and excuses not to help, leans over and helps this poor person. This Sunday school teacher was telling her class the story of the Good Samaritan, and she asked the class, if a person was lying on the side of the road all wounded and bleeding, what would you do? A little girl shot up her hand. She goes, I think I'd throw up. (laughs) 
So Jesus tells a story and he asks in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told them, go and do likewise. This story challenges us by showing that a person who we would least expect could be neighborly to us, and so therefore we should be neighborly to them. I love how Jesus turned this around. This guy is asking, who goes under the category of neighbor so I know who I need to love and who I can cancel? And he's secretly hoping to cancel those despicable Samaritans, right? But Jesus turns the question upside down. He does his classic move of answering a question with a question. And he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Notice we aren't talking about the neighbor being the one who was down and beaten. To answer the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, which one of these three guys, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, was the neighbor? I see what you did there, Jesus. The man says, the one who was mercy on him. And Jesus is like, what was that? Who is the one we're supposed to be neighbor to? And he's like, the one who had mercy on him. Notice he can't even say the word Samaritan. And Jesus sends him away with go and do likewise. Love that neighbor that you want to cancel. Who is my neighbor? Instead of trying to decide if you should love someone, God is more concerned about the more important question of will will we be the neighbor to those in need? We're preoccupied with others' identity, but God is more concerned with our identity. Who is my neighbor? Should actually turn into to whom can I be a neighbor. The choice of love should always be determined by who we are in Christ and not the identity of the other person. The religious expert focused on the identity of the other people, the other group of people, but Jesus invites us to ask a different question. What kind of person has God called you to be? We need to love others. So some things that we can be to our neighbors, I want to share with you. The first one is be considerate. Check out this meme here. I'm going to show you a meme on the screen. My new neighbors are listening to heavy metal all day long. They don't seem to like it much, but I'm sure they'll come around eventually. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) Being a good neighbor means being aware of what we're doing in our own home, in our own house, in our own yard that might be affecting our neighbors. Be considerate. The second one is to be the fruit. I know I've talked a lot about the fruit of the Spirit. They always say, oh, what are you going to preach on? Which fruit are you going to preach on today? (laughs) But if you want to know what it looks like to be a good neighbor, it means showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's... If that's overwhelming, start with one and be that to your neighbor. Ask God, which one of those nine things can I be to my neighbor today? Be the fruit. Another thing we need to be is to be a friend of sinners. I love that the critics of Jesus tried to put this label on him, friend of sinners, and they tried to do it to dishonor Jesus. But what they didn't understand is that that is what God calls us to be. We talked about Jesus calling Zacchaeus out of the crowd, knowing his name. Here's an example of Jesus showing love to a tax collector, the most despicable sinner of the day. Tax collectors were hated, and Jesus showed affection. Imagine Jesus walking through this crowd and at all all the people to talk to, he picks that guy, the tax collector. And he says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name and he says, I'm spending some time with you. Put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes for a moment. Imagine what it felt like to discover that Jesus was eager to hang out with you, the most despised person in town. 
Jesus knows who you are. He knows what you've done, good or bad, and he wants to have relationship with you anyway. And this is true for those around you as well. Your neighbors are people that Jesus wants to have a relationship with. Like the story Jesus tells of the banquet in Luke 14. Everyone is invited. God doesn't like people to be without a place. It's out of place people that always have a place with God. Be a friend of sinners. Another thing we need to be is to be a receiver. It's not about putting on the cape of super neighbor and just running out to serve whatever we can do to our neighbor. Serving isn't a bad thing, but if it's all we ever do, then our relationships will be empty. We like to be seen as the capable one, right? Having all the answers and the resources, but being in a relationship means allowing others to meet our needs, and that's a good thing. The art of neighboring involves us being able to both give of our time and our energy and just as important to receive from others. We can't think of our neighbors as a project. It's about genuine relationship. Bob Goff says, God didn't give us neighbors to be our projects. He surrounded us with them to be our teachers. Our neighbors have something to offer us. When giving is one-sided, it, it robs the needy one of their dignity because it makes them dependent. But when giving is two-sided, everyone feels a sense of worth. We need to understand that everyone on our block has something to offer, something to bring to a relationship. It's not about doing charity work. It's not about always looking for ways to give and give and give. Good neighboring is about developing a sense of community within your neighborhood. It's about empowering people to break down walls. It's about everybody doing something for the common good together. So be a receiver. The next one is be available. The number one obstacle to neighboring well is time. It's important to take a step back and ask ourselves, if we're, are we living at a pace that allows us to be available to those around us? We are always so busy in our world. I think one of the blessings of the pandemic has, has been to enable us to slow down a little bit. And maybe we can keep that going so that we can be more available to those around us, to be a good neighbor to have time to build relationships in our neighborhood, to be okay with neighbor interruptions, to see them as an opportunity and not an annoyance. Jesus got a lot done, but he never seemed to be in a hurry. He lived a passionate, purposeful life, but he was never in a rush. He would always stop when he was interrupted. There was even a time where his interruption was interrupted. Mark 5, Jesus is among crowds, And a frantic dad who has an extremely sick daughter who's dying comes up to Jesus and tells him what's going on. And Jesus stops what he's doing and listens to this guy. And he goes and he starts to attend this interruption. He's going to this girl. Then on his way to the interruption, Jesus gets interrupted. Who touched me? The woman with the issue of blood interrupts the interruption. And Jesus heals her pain. If there was ever a time where Jesus wanted to keep moving, this was it. Someone was dying. But Jesus thinks differently than we do. Somehow he's never too busy to meet our pain and our needs. Be available means creating time for our neighbors and seeing the interruptions as an opportunity for relationship, for loving our neighbors. The last B I want to look at is to be intentional. Being a good neighbor is going to require us to be intentional to have our eyes open for opportunities, to look for ways to create opportunities and not lose focus on what's most important. 
Right after the Good Samaritan story in Luke 10, there's a story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is at their house, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's being present. Martha's distracted by all the preparations that have to be made, and and she says to Jesus, look at all the work that needs to be done. Tell her to help me. And Martha is the one who gets reprimanded for not being. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you know you're in trouble when Jesus says your name twice. (laughs) And he says, your sister has chosen the better thing. She did, but you haven't even tasted my casserole yet. (laughs) See, what Mary was doing wasn't bad, but it wasn't the right thing for the moment. We need to think differently sometimes and know when, it, when we need to do, which we're going to get to in a moment, and when we just need to be. Being intentional means figuring out what that looks like. Not always focusing on the tasks, but being intentional about building relationship and community in our neighborhood. So number one is to learn, number two is to be, and the third one is to do. And I know we just talked about being and not doing, but being a good neighbor also means we have to do. Jesus said, go and do likewise. I've told this story before, but I can't share a message about neighboring and not talk about my feeble attempts at being a good neighbor. So we first got married. We lived in this side-by-side townhouse, and I wanted to take some action. I wanted to to do something for my neighbors to show them Jesus' love, and and so this is my plan. This is my thinking. It was getting to be winter, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a shovel. I'm going to shovel everyone's walkway, and then they're all going to wonder who did this, and they're all going to ask, and I'm going to tell them, and I'm going to lead them all to Jesus with my servant love. This is my plan. Good plan, right? So I bought a snow shovel. I'm ready. The first snowfall happens. It's Saturday morning. I wake up. Now, this is before we had kids, so Saturday morning started a lot later than it does now. So I wake up with my shovel. It's snowing. I run to the window, and I look. And I see our neighbor just finishing up shoveling our walk. (laughs) And I was so mad at him. (laughs) He totally stole my thunder, right? Because now, the next time it snows, even if I get out there first, all I'm doing is repaying the favor, right? I'm just repaying the favor. There's no way I'm going to be showing him the love of Jesus and they're all going to be like, oh, who's this guy just serving us? I'm just repaying the favor. So I was so mad. Fast forward to when we bought our first house. Fresh set of neighbors, clean slate, I'm ready. Snowfall comes, I grab my shovel, I'm first out, I get out the door, I make a beeline to my neighbor's walk, I'm like, ha ha, I'm here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to start shoveling her walk. She sees me in the window, she looks out, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good, she's going to come out, I'm going to have a conversation, I'll be like, oh yeah, Jesus loves you, and she's going to get saved, and it's going to be, the angels are going to sing, it's going to be all good. She looks angry, she starts yelling at me, stop shoveling my walk! I'm like, what? She's like, I hire professionals to do that. Apparently, I wasn't doing a good enough job. (laughs) I also learned that summer that she also didn't want me to mow her lawn, and I learned that the hard way as well. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm trying to be a good neighbor. It's just not working. But we got to look for ways to put our love into action. C.S. Lewis said this, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. A cool thing we were a part of a couple summers ago, you know, back when we could actually hang out with people, was our neighborhood had a block party for the first time. A couple of families on our block were interested in getting people together, and uh, my wife Marcia helped plan this, and uh, there's a couple of interesting things about this party. So our block is basically two streets in front of each other. It's not a tic-tac-toe board. It's two streets in front of each other. And so the idea was everyone would bring their own meat to barbecue, and one street would bring side dishes, and one street would bring desserts, and we would all just kind of hang out together. Well, there were a lot of side dishes, 
And my family brought the only dessert because for some reason we were the only family that came from our street, which is kind of sad, but it was a lot of fun to connect with people on the street behind us and build some community with people we wouldn't normally have conversations with intentionally. And so another interesting thing about this is that I don't normally like announcing that I'm a pastor to people that I meet for the first time. It's not that I'm embarrassed of it, but I feel like when they hear that I'm a pastor, they get all kind of weird and awkward and self-conscious about what they're doing and saying, and I just want them to feel normal. So I don't shy away if they ask me, I tell them, but I just want people to feel real and comfortable in who they are. So I don't really announce that I'm a pastor. So at this block party, Someone on our block did know that I'm a pastor, and they're giving directions on how the food's going to work, and they go, oh, Pastor Tim, do you want to say grace? I'm like, oh, there goes not announcing that I'm a pastor. So I'm like trying to, trying to pretend that maybe I'm not that Pastor Tim. But anyway, it was a good opportunity to pray for my neighbors, and no one booed me off the street, so it actually worked. But this idea of doing block parties was actually an incredible, cool way to connect with our neighborhood. And I would encourage you to think of, is there something like that that you could actually pull off? It doesn't have to be complicated or expensive, but gather who you know and maybe start thinking and get creative on how you can become community in your neighborhood. Whether it's, you know, your, your houses, your apartment, or maybe even your workplace. Is there something out of the box that you could do to bring people together in community? Not to preach at them, not to make it about you, but just bringing people together. Start thinking community, building relationships. And it's out of those relationships that you're going to see God move. God has put you in the spot that you live for a reason. I'm not saying force yourself onto your neighbors because God doesn't force himself onto us. But what if we start with learn? Let's go around and, and at least learn people's names and learn their stories. And then be. What does it mean to be a good neighbor? And then do. What are the things that we can do to be a good neighbor? As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. Learn, be, and do. When we do these things, God will open doors for us to help our neighbors to know God, to live free, and find purpose. Let's pray. We talked today about loving our neighbors well. And that all starts when we realize that we are loved. And we didn't talk much about this, but God loves us so much. And I want to give an opportunity, if there's anyone here that has never made that decision to follow Jesus and wants to start your relationship with him for the very first time, God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that you can be forgiven. And it all starts with God's love for us. And then we can show love to others. And so if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And as a step to saying that I did that today, we would love it if you could just click the raise hand button that's popping up in the chat right now, just as a signal to say, hey God, today I'm making this decision. And just repeat this prayer with me, just a prayer inviting Jesus into your life. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your love. And today I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And you rose again to be my Lord and Savior. Today I ask you into my life to change me from the inside out. Today I start my relationship with you. Help me to love you and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Pie auction next week. Make your desserts, make your pies, get your wallets ready to give crazy amounts to missions. We'll see you next time.
Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.